reaching up, reaching over, and reaching out. We are New Life Christian Fellowship. For service times or recordings of our weekly messages, please visit us online at www.nlcfchurch.org. Thank you. It is good to be here. Do I have to stay up here? Can I come down there? Is that all right? just feel like I'm a long ways away. Steal that. I like your church. It reminds me of the first church I went to. Uh, I started out in PEI, and it was a church in, uh, I don't know if you've, anybody been to PEI? No? You're missing out. Anna Green Gables, all that stuff. Um, I was in a town called Crapo. So I, I always say I started my career in Crapo and I spent the rest of my years trying to stay out of Crapo. But we had an old building that, that we used and uh, what impressed me about it was when I pulled in the parking lot for the first time to this new church and I was only 22 at the time, it had a, it had a lean to it. It was kind of an A-frame church but it, it leaned so you knew where the prevailing wind came from. And I'm in this, uh, in this church, not... And the thing was, I, I thought I would be a, a youth pastor and, and kind of have it easy in ministry. And, and just through a series of coincidences, I ended up in this church, this new church, this five-year-old church. And uh, I was born and raised Wesleyan in the East Coast in New Brunswick. Wesleyan is a Methodist group. Went to a Wesleyan school. This was a Wesleyan church. But there was no Wesleyans in the church. So we had Baptists, and we had Christian Reform, and we had Pentecostals, and we had... Uh, a gospel hall uh, that it was a conservative group not not the mormon group um, and we had word of faith and and this we we had everything except what i was and uh, we had a lot of fun it was a young church and uh, had, had a great time there but that was uh that was uh my beginning of the appreciation of the text today trust in the lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding all your ways acknowledge him and make your path straight. Because I'm sitting in this office in, the, in a church in, in kind of a countryside of a PEI surrounded by potato fields at 22 years old going, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm doing here. And I feel really inadequate. And so the verse I held on to was Proverbs 3. And uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. All your ways acknowledge him and make your path straight. And I went, Lord, this is our contract. I'm only doing this job as long as you uphold your end of it. So when I get this opportunity to come here and they go, well, we want you to do Proverbs 3. I'm like, oh, I love Proverbs 3. And it's like, well, we want, you know, here's the, here's the passage. And I'm like, great, perfect. This is, this is, I love this stuff. And my brain started racing about what I would do. And then as we got closer to today, I got more and more unsettled about where I was going with it. And, uh, and so I, I, I honestly came not fully prepared. And I went, and I don't like that. And so I had kind of the, I had this thing all put together. And I was like, it doesn't fit. And so I met with some of the, some of the guys here yesterday and, and then went back to Leamington last night and reworked a lot of my, what I had. And then we came, we did Sunday school. And, and I'm sitting there kind of observing Sunday school and, and all of a sudden you start talking about some of the things that, that had been reworked. And I went, okay, this could be a fun morning because we'll see what, what the Lord does. Because you know what, the, the one thing I don't like to, I'm the... I don't know if I, I'm the conference pastor, if that holds any credibility. Uh, and people go, ooh, wow, you're a conference pastor. I, I want to have the title bishop, but they wouldn't, wouldn't give me that one. Uh, but I'm the conference pastor, but I come in, and, and my name is Andy Woodworth. And, and all the Mennonites wait for me to say, and my wife is a Friesen or a, you know, something like that, which she isn't. And then I, I'm getting used to that look of disappointment, like, oh. It's too bad you're not a Mennonite, and uh, and it is. And I and uh, but um, yeah, I don't I, I I don't come from a Mennonite background. I was like I said, I started in the Wesleyan Church. 
I, I was in Ontario for 20 years, and, and most of that time was spent in Belleville, Ontario, east of Toronto, near Kingston. And there I was part of a group called the Brethren in Christ, which was an Anabaptist group. So I went from Methodist into this. Brethren in Christ is a hybrid between Methodist and, and Anabaptist, so I was quite comfortable there. And then I went farther west to Manitoba and joined the EMC. And somebody asked me after a year, so do you feel like you're a Mennonite yet? And I went, that's a hard one to answer. I, I believe what you believe, but I still don't understand why you do half the things that you do. All right? And the only low German I know is Mertersloop? Mertersloop. And FASPA. And the two kind of go together. You have the one, then you do the other. That's as far as I got. The only way I know Low German is I've, I've learned that the words, how they sound, kind of reflect what they mean. So if you call me a name, it sounds bad. And I've gotten used to, that's probably not a good thing. And if you say a compliment, it sounds pleasing. And I kind of go, I think that was a good thing. So that's, uh, that's the extent of my, my knowledge of Low German. And, uh, but here we are, Proverbs chapter, chapter 3. Um, you guys are going to keep up with me. I lost my phone. Anyways, I, I, don't, I don't need it. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3. And uh, verses 5 to 6 is, is one of my favorite parts. And we look at that, and, and uh, probably no other verse have I quoted more in my, the span of my career. And, and stepping into this role, even, it's... It's invigorating because it puts me back in that place where I go, Lord, I'm not sure I know what I'm doing. So the deal is you've got to work with me or I'm not doing it anymore. Because so I'm going to trust in you. You've got to make my path straight. And if it doesn't, I'm going to do something different. And so we come together and we, we come to like at a time like this and we go, and, and I know kind of a little bit of your history and where you're at, and, and you're asking some of those big questions like, where are we going? What are we going to do? And, and, and what's, the, what's the path forward? And I can tell you that that's, that's something that churches all across Canada are asking. EMC churches are asking that question. This post-pandemic church is, and by church I mean the, like the broad Canadian church, is, is trying to figure out how do, how do we do this now? And, and so some of the questions that you're having and some of the, the, the things that you're wrestling with, those, they're unique to you, but they're also common to what's happening today in, in our culture. I like how the guys from the Bible Project uh, give an introduction about the book of Proverbs. They say it, uh, Proverbs is a collection of generations of wisdom. And, and I like that part because it's, it's not one person saying, here's all the things I've learned, I'm going to give it to you. That's, and, and so when I come in in my role, I'm not coming in and saying, hey, I'm, I've been serving in ministry for 30 years, I'm the conference pastor, let me tell you how to do things. I, I, I just don't feel adequate to do that. But I do feel prepared to say, here's all the stuff that we're getting from the scriptures. And I want to give you a little piece of it. And, it's, and in that sense, it's generational because the, the things of God that, that last, the things of God that, that really impact our lives for generations are the things that we can hold dear to. So if you have Mennonite background, there's, there's so many things within your history that you go, these are good, we're going to hold on to these. Because these have endured over the, over the generations. There's scriptures that we pulled out and we hold on to because we go, these are things that we've learned to trust. And we begin to look at this. And so we take Proverbs 3 and, and these passages that we just read, verses 1 to 18. And, and we could really just go deep into this. Like, like just those verses. I, I looked at this and I went, there's so much in here. Like we could... We could spend hours unpackaging this. We could, we could do a series just on this and, and talk about it for weeks because there's, there's so much in there. And, and I was so eager to jump in and, and do this verse 5 and 6. That was going to be my favorite. And, and I got stuck. And I got stuck on the opening line. And the opening line says, my son or, or my child, I want to give you something. And that's the thing that I've been 
rolling over in my head. Because here's the question. I want you to think about this. I'm going to give you an easy question, then, then, I, then I, maybe a little harder question. How old are you? Think. Like, if you're, you know you're old if you have to do the math. You have to go, oh, my, what am I? Oh, yeah. It, then, you, then you know you're, you're old. Um, now, take how old you are. Now, here's the, here's the big question. How old do you think you are in your head? Now, this is the part. I haven't seen a study. I'm looking for a study on this because I thought it was just me. See, in my head, I'm still kind of mid-20s, right? And I, I don't speak for the women because I, I think women, I think, you're, I think you're a little smarter than the men. Men, I don't think, grow up past a certain age. Yeah, where did you, 22 is, you're, you're mature enough, but you can still be irresponsible. Men have a hard time acting the rage. Now, if you've ever seen men go out on a hunting trip or a fishing trip somewhere where the women aren't around, they behave very different, right? Because in our heads, we have trouble accepting that, that maybe we're the age that we actually are, and we much prefer to act an age that we think we are. And one of the guys I, I like is, is Baseball Hall of Fame uh, Yogi Berra. I, I, love, I love his sayings just because they're so, so quirky. And one of his sayings that I, that I like is, uh, the, the future ain't what it used to be. And, uh, and I love that one because it, it's one of those ones you go, that doesn't make any sense. But then you go, oh, that's deeply profound. And that was kind of what these Yogi Bearisms are. They're, they're kind of these, these weird sayings that really don't make any sense but make you have to think a little bit. And the future ain't what it used to be. And I remember thinking, like, when you're young, and, and you look ahead, it's like, wow, you've got all these years ahead of you. You can do so many things. There's so many opportunities, so many things to experience. And it seems like time goes by really slowly when you're young because there's so much to do. And then you wake up one morning, and, it, and it's usually a morning like every other morning, except somewhere it dawns on you that there's probably more life behind you than before you. And you begin to think, hmm, the future ain't what it used to be. And, and then we throw in like where we are now, kind of post-pandemic with all the chaos going in the world and all the things that are happening in our schools and, and all the things that are happening in Canada. And we look at all those things and we go, things don't seem like they're like they used to be. And, and I think every generation has looked ahead and goes, it's going to be rough on our kids. I think they said that, in the, I think my parents said that, kind of going into the 70s. I think their parents may have said that post-war, World War II, that it's going to be tough on them when they grow up. It's going to be different than what it was when, when I grew up, when you grew up. The future ain't what it used to be. And in Canada, that's what churches are, are really wrestling with because they're looking and saying, mm. We're not so certain that what we thought was predictable will stay predictable. We're not so certain that, that what has been will always be. And there's a lot of uncertainty about things. And, and that causes me to go back and say, Lord, what are, you, like, what are you doing? And I tend to be an optimist, so I tend to look at things and say, I, how are these pieces going to fit together? So what's happening in Canada? What's happening with other churches, with other denominations? What's, what, 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 what is God up to? Because at the end of the day, we've got to believe that the, the Lord is some, up to something. The Lord wants to sustain his church. The Lord wants his church to go forward. He wants new life to flourish. So what does that look like? And if we get stuck on the future ain't what it used to be, we, we kind of shut down to what God might want to do. And when we don't know what God is going to do, we start to think maybe God's not going to do anything. And if we start to think that God's not going to do anything, we start to lose hope. And we start to lose hope, we make bad choices. So we want to roll it back and say, do we believe that God's going to do something? And if we believe that God's going to do something, do we want to know what that is? And if we want to know what it is, and we, we get a little glimpse of what God might, might want to do... That's going to cause us to go, oh, 
there's some hope there. And so as I was kind of rolling this around, I didn't know where to take it. And then I, I came here, and, and the Lord kind of said, let's, let's pursue this a little bit. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test some stuff on you, is that, if that's all right. And uh, don't, don't tell me if you don't like it. But if you do, you can let me know. But if you don't, just, just let me be in my ignorance and, and move on from there. But this all started uh, last summer. So last summer... Um, we end up down in, in New Brunswick, down in my, my home area, where all my family still is. And, and, and I, had to, I had the chance to attend Beulah Camp. This is Beulah Camp. This is their, their tabernacle, center of the camp. Now, when I talk about church camp, sometimes you go to church camp, and it's rickety old buildings with old cabins with really uncomfortable bunk beds. Um, that's, that's not Beulah Camp. Beulah Camp is like a little village. There's roads, and there's cabins. There's, there's probably... 1,500, 2,000 people that would attend there during the, the, the camp week. It's where the church does its business at the front end. They, they do all their, their gatherings and they, they do all their the church business and they do the ordination there. And then they have this week-long camp meeting where people come from all over the Maritimes to be a part of it. It's right on the St. John River, beautiful area. And I grew up going there. And this is the place, right? That, that altar, if you go to the front and you go just slightly to the right, there's a, an altar rail, and that's where I gave my heart to Jesus as a, at a youth camp, where I made my commitment. If you go past there and you go down over the hill, that's where the St. John River is, and that's where I was baptized. And in that, that front part right there, right at the right where the pulpit is, just before that, that's where I had to kneel. Stephanie and I knelt, and we were ordained as ministers. This is a, this is a place that, that had a huge impact on my life. And it was a place when I, when I ministered down there, you'd go there every year and you'd be part of this camp. And, and as a minister, you'd have some job within the camp, but you'd go there and everybody you knew would be there. And you would, you would kind of recognize most of the people. And, and there were some that were really dear friends that that's where you would reconnect. And you would spend the week just hanging out and talking with these people. So last summer, I had a chance to go back. Haven't been there in 30 years. The last time I was there was when I was ordained. I was 25 years old, and I took a church in Ontario, and we never was able to get back. So I go back, and, I, and I'm walking around, because I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm kind of going, I'm going to go back after this 30 years. <clears throat> One, I'm going to get to see all these people that I, I know that I haven't seen in this long time. And, and you kind of you go... And I'm going to be like a celebrity because I haven't been there in a long time. So I'm going to walk around and people are going to recognize me. And it's like, oh, we haven't seen you in so long. How have you been? Where are you? What's going on in your life? And, and we were going to just have this wonderful reunion time. And so my wife and I go down and my brother wasn't there. So we had his cottage, which is just kind of the other side of the, this, the tabernacles to the left. And he's just on the other side of that. This is where their dining hall is and kind of all the activities take place. And we're walking around because everybody walks around. And so we, you do the loop of the camp, of the, the old camp, and then the, the expansion, that's, you're getting too far out. So you're just walking around, and, and you encounter people, because everybody walks. And I'm looking at people, and every time I, I would, you know, I walk by, you're kind of doing that quick glance, and, and do I, I, I don't know them. Do I know? Oh, I don't, don't know them. Don't know them. We walked around the camp for like a half hour. Didn't know anybody. And all of a sudden, I'm going, I, I, I don't like this. Why don't I know everybody? Everything has changed here. Nobody, I don't know anybody here. And it bothered me. And it bothered me so much that, and I'm kind of an analytical guy, so I'm walking. <laughs> I'm walking, and I, and I can feel myself getting upset. Like, like my, I had these expectations. These expectations weren't met, and I'm, and I'm getting more and more upset. And, I'm, and, and my analytical brain kicks in and goes, why are you getting so upset? And I said, I'm getting upset because I don't know anybody. Everything has changed. And then it, it dawned on me. Now, this sounds stupid, but this is, this is how the brain works. I'm walking around. And you know how you walk into a crowd and you, you can't take everybody in, so you focus on certain ones? I began to realize that the people I was focusing on were pushing strollers or had little kids. And I went, and what's wrong with that? Until my analytical brain kicked in and said, 
they weren't even alive when you left here. That, that parent pushing the kid in the stroller, they were the kid in the stroller. And I'm like, oh yeah. So here's what I realized. This is, this, I didn't like the conclusion, it's just what I came to. Is, is my brain knew I hadn't been there for 30 years. It knew it had to add ages to the people that were gonna be around. My brain added about 15 years. My body had added 30. I was looking at the people in the 30s to 40s, and I realized my people were the mid-50s to the 70s. So the ones that were my peers and the ones that I had worked with that were ahead of me in ministry. So when I looked at the crowd, all of a sudden, I had this epiphany. Because I, I shift my focus from these, these 30 and 40-year-olds, and I looked over, and here's this guy who looked like an old man. And I went, I used to work for that guy. He was a senior pastor in St. John when I was a youth pastor there. When did he get so old? Because he had gray hair. And I start looking around, so I changed my focus, and I start looking around, and all my people either had gray hair or no hair at all. And I went, I, 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 don't, I don't like this. Because I'm still thinking I'm mainstream, and I realize it was well down the stream. And I realized that the, the, the people I had looked up to in ministry that were, were ahead of me are now retired. I looked at my wife and said, let's go to St. Andrews, get some seafood. <laughs> so we, we left. Because I went, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta process this a little bit. And as, I'm, as, we're, as we're sitting on the boardwalk in St. Andrews, which is a beautiful place, by the way, my head is still racing. And my head is going, when did I stop being young? Now, I've been thinking about this and processing this. And I've come to this conclusion. My conclusion is, is that we stop being young when they stop having ceremonies to commemorate our maturing. Now think about it. Do you guys do this with your Sunday school? Like when they, when you, when they graduate up, you do something special for them? Like do you do something when they were in preschool and then they go into school age and they enter into Sunday school? Or you, you do something in Sunday school and you parade them up on stage and they recite their verses and everybody, very good. You do something like that? We, we like to commemorate what we do in Sunday school. And then you get into school, and it used to be you, you had a high school graduation, but now you have kindergarten graduation, and then you have primary graduation, then you have middle school or junior high graduation, then you have high school graduation. If you go on to college, you have college graduation, right? You have a ceremony. When I was, when I was baptized, we had a family party, like a family gathering. Um, when I was ordained, we had a family gathering. Then you get married, and when you get married, and we were, I was 22 when I got married, people traveled from all over to take part in the ceremony. We're eager to have ceremonies for people as they, as they mature up. And then they stop having ceremonies for you. I mean, you have birthdays, but you don't have big ceremonies anymore. And all of a sudden I realized they stopped having ceremonies for me, and I started officiating ceremonies for other people. And I think I crossed the line then and became, became less young and was on the adult path of responsibility. So, without warning, almost without warning, we seem to go from being young to being adults, being responsible. So I grabbed some knowledge from some ancient rabbinical teaching, the old rabbis. And the rabbis looked at this, and they, they, Jewish customs would have ceremonies throughout your, your progression as a child. Then you get married, and then, then that's the last ceremony. And they would say, once you're married, then you're ready for life. Then you go out and you start your career. So at age 20, they would tend to look and say, this is the time you go out and you find your way. And then they would say at age 30, at age 30, that's when you're at the height of your power, your strength, your vigor, you're ready to go, you're in your career, you're starting to launch into this at age, 
age 30. Then at age 40, they would say that that's when you actually achieve a level of understanding. And I look back and I went, yeah, that's, that's probably right. I had, a, I had more answers when I was young than I do now. Then you get understanding and you realize, oh, there's more to that than what I thought. And you begin to gain some understanding. Well, then at age 50, this is where I am, you're prepared to give wise counsel. You finally got enough life experience that you can kind of give wise counsel. Not just the right answer, but some wisdom. At age 60, one is able to have the status of being an elder. You get, you get respected at age 60. At age 70, you're considered to be a sage. Now, not only do you have understanding and, and able to give wisdom, but you're able to give like really profound wisdom. So when you read Proverbs, the person kind of conveying the information is probably in this age range. They're, they're now a sage, and they can say, let me take all the knowledge from all these generations and, and begin to give to you. And then they say at age 80, that at age 80, you reach the age of heroic strength, which I find interesting, because sometimes in our culture we say, well, when you hit the age of 80 or, or even past 70, you, you can just rest. You can just take it easy. But, but in the Jewish thinking, they go, no, that's, that's when you become just this, this powerhouse. Like you, you've reached heroic strength. And we know that's not physically, but there's, there's this piece of, of the wisdom and the spiritual understanding that they have that, that, that if you're younger, you want to just lap that up. So it was kind of the illustration of doing the how many times you want to meet your father again. And you go, well, if they're at that stage, you should want to be there just to, to soak in as much as you can. Because there's so much that we can, we can get. And, and what I realize is, is that when you move from like kindergarten into grade one and they have this little ceremony, you know, it's, it's clear. You know that you've gone from here to here. When you, you work in college and, and you finish your, your time and you finish the diploma, you've passed everything, and they give you that graduation, you go from here to here. But in this maturing process, it's not always clear. And even in the lifespan of a church, it's not always clear because to move from one phase to the next is the results of the, the trials that we go through. It's a result of the triumphs we have where we actually did something right. It's the, the result of tragedies that, that kind of befall us and, and shape us. And it's the effect of the teachings that we have. We start to learn things. And, and we begin to, to change as individuals. And we change even as a church. But it's not always clear. We don't always know when that happens. And, and so sometimes we need that, that jarring experience to go, ooh, where am I now? And what am I doing now? So back in the, in the wilderness experience, as the first temple is being built and, uh, in, in the wilderness and, and the ministry guidelines are being laid out in terms of how you're to act and what you're to do, what you actually start to see, if you, if you like this type of stuff, you go and you look at that, and you begin to look and say, this is, this is kind of God's plan that's being unfolded. There's a lot of, of things that we don't really understand, like why things have to be a certain color or a certain texture or a certain material, and why they have to be arranged in a certain way, but it's fascinating stuff. And we begin to see God's master plan laid out in this symbol that they called the temple with the priests. And the ones who operated and did those things. And in, in the book of Numbers, there's a, in Numbers chapter 8, there's actually the guideline for, for how the Levites were to operate. So they said that, you know, they're going to go through as a child. They're going to go through all this training. They're going to reach that age 20 where they're ready to, to start their careers. And it says there that they're ready to serve at age 25. Which we go, that's That's reasonable. They would start to serve at, at age 25 and do the things that they have to do in the tent of meetings. And it, it may not be the primary role like the, the high priest that we, we talked about a little bit earlier, but it, it, just the priestly duties. They would help facilitate things. They would do those things and at age 25. Now, the thing is that when you read on from there, that the ministers could only minister for up to 25 years. 
Because at age 50, something changes. And in that, in that verse, verse 26, Numbers 8, 26, it says the ministers, uh, they, they switch roles and they're to stop ministering and they're to begin to minister to the brothers in the tent of meetings, keeping guard. So at age 50, it didn't mean they retired. It meant they changed roles. And I start to look at this to understand it. Because it doesn't say they go away. It says they stay in the tent, but they change their duty from doing the duties of the, of the tent of meetings to being a guardian over the young ones who are now doing the service. And if you think about it, these are the most equipped people. These are the ones who've been doing it probably for 25 years. They've got all the experience. They know how to do the, the ministry. They're, they're probably the best of the group that are doing this. And, and, and we would say, kind of in our culture, at the, at the peak of their career, the boss says, I think we're going to change your role. And it would be, in our thinking, would be a, a humbling experience. And, and I thought about this. I thought, that, that's, that's big. Especially, if, like, this has been your career. Like, this has been your life. And you're kind of at the peak, and you still have years to go. But he goes, but I want you to change. And I want you to stop doing, and I want you to start guarding. And it took me into, into Psalms 51. And in Psalms 51, the Lord says this. He says, uh, the sacrifice of God uh, are, are a broken spirit. The, the things that God really likes are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And oh God, you will not despise that. And, and if you think about it, what, what God wants more than anything else is not that you do things really well or you do all the things that we should be doing. What God really wants more than anything else is for the people that serve him is to have broken and contrite hearts, soft hearts, that want to serve the Lord above all else, that will express that in the duties that they do in, in the church or in our context in the church or in those days in the temple. Those, those are good, but the really important thing is the heart. And so you take somebody who's at the peak of their service, somebody who has ministered faithfully for 25 years, and we go... To step down from that is a humbling experience, but to step down from that is a demonstration that their heart is right. They're willing to stop that and pick up a new role. And the new role is to start to bless what is coming next. And what you see is when you look at God's plan, God's plan is not always about how are we going to do it today in the, in the moment but God's plan is always about what do we do in the moment to sustain my kingdom in the days ahead. And so when you get into a, a phase in the church and, and you look and you get, you get stuck because you begin to look in the moment and say, what do we do today? And the Lord is saying, no, 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 you're looking at the wrong thing. I want you to get your head up and look and say, what can you do today so that in next generation or the generation to come, they're flourish." So those kids that are running around downstairs and doing all the things in the back room, that those kids step into a church where they flourish as men and women of God. And God's plan is to say, you people, as you mature, as you're in that adult phase, as you're doing and serving, but as you get to that point where you've done and you've served and you've gained some wisdom and you've gained some knowledge, now change posture and begin to look and say, what is the Lord doing next? And how do I guard that? And how do I bless that and pour into that, even if I don't know what it's going to look like, even if I don't understand how it's going to play out? Even if I look and say, the future ain't what it used to be, how do I bless what's happening today so that God's kingdom continues to flourish in the days ahead? And when I began to look at that, I said, oh, okay. 
How do we do this? And oddly enough, I was taken to the Christmas story. And the Christmas story starts with this, this young girl. I mean, they, they, they think she was like 12 years old, 12, 13 years old. And this angel shows up. And the angel shows up to this 12-year-old, this 13-year-old, this and says, don't be afraid. Your life up to this point has got God's attention. Like, what you've done with your life in, in these years, even though you, you haven't really reached the fullness, but, but what you've done in your life, God's really happy with you. So don't be afraid, but what's, what we're about to show you, because you have God's favor. And then the angel proceeds to tell her what's going to take place. And I wonder... How many times? Because that's the start. And then you have at least nine months, depending on how long, how long it took from the message until it, the conception. But she had at least nine months of having to take what was, what was here but still live out where she was going. And as she got bigger and bigger and bigger and the, and the things happening around the world with government and with the things that were happening and, and her and Joseph having to process all those things. I wonder how many times she went back and said, oh yeah, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. I found favor with the Lord. Stay faithful, stay in this place. How many times does she draw on those words? Because it, it never was recorded that the angel ever came back and said, Mary, 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 you're getting off track. Don't, don't forget, don't forget, don't be afraid. She had to take these words that were spoken and, and hold on to them. And, and then her and, and Joseph make that, that journey with all the circumstances and all the stuff around Christmas. And, and she gives birth to this, this child, this baby. And, and, and she looks at this baby, and this baby looks like every other baby she's probably ever seen, except, except there's a promise with this baby. This baby is supposed to be be something spectacular. It's the Messiah. This, this, this child is a miracle child. But this child looks like every other child. But she, but she holds on to it, and, and, and all she has is, is the words of that, that angel that said, this is what's going to happen. This is, this is coming. you got to trust. And she holds on to that child and holds on to that promise. And on the day when, when Jesus was to be presented to the temple, and, and, and Luke talks about this in Luke chapter 2, there was this ceremony. They had to, if, if they didn't have a lot of money, they had to bring the birds, and, and, and it says that they brought birds, so it tells you that they, they weren't financially prosperous. And they come to the temple. Now, you've got to think about this. She's with Joseph, who's her husband. But Joseph isn't the father of a child. They're from a small town. Everybody knows. They did the math. They weren't married when she conceived. She has this child. Don't fear. Don't fear. You found favor with the Lord. And you got to think about this. Is they knew what God's word said for them to do. Go and present the child. But they also knew that going and presenting this child was risky. Because how would they be received by the priests? How would they be received by the people who are doing the ministry? When you have Mary and her husband, who's not the father of her child. But in spite of that, I think with those words... Mary, don't be afraid. You found favor with the Lord. They go. And with all the fear and trepidation of walking into that, that temple to do this sacred act of, of dedicating their, their firstborn male child to the Lord, they have two encounters that are recorded in Luke with an elderly man and an elderly woman that are dropped into this story Seemingly for no reason, but carry a lot of weight.
So it says there in Luke 2, verse 25, it says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and, and this man was a righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation or the, the, the restoration of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord the Christ. Politically, everything is in chaos for Israel. They're not able to govern the way that they would normally govern. They're, they're under oppression. Religiously, things were factions. So you've got all these different groups. And, and when you have political instability and you have religious instability, you, you, you have chaos. And in the midst of all the chaos and all the dissension and all the division, this man, Simeon, who's this righteous, devout man, had this steadfast commitment that God was going to honor his word. And, and he had this assurance in his heart that, that he would see, he would see the Messiah before he ever died. And he's in the temple, and young Mary and young Joseph and this baby walk in, and he immediately recognizes them, not by their look and not by their appearance, not because of their wealth, not because of the, the, the parade that comes in. He recognized them because something in his spirit jumps. And he begins to speak blessing over the child and over the parents. And he begins to speak prophetic words that not everything is going to be easy. Not everything is maybe going to be what you think it's going to be. But it's going to be God's plan. Now, here's the part that strikes me. Simeon, we don't know how old he was, but he was an elderly man. That baby that he blessed, that he was so excited about, would make absolutely no difference in his lifetime. That baby would do nothing for the restoration of Israel during the lifetime of Simeon. But Simeon blessed what was unknown to him. And then it says in verse 27. Well, that's, that's, let's keep going. Let's go up to verse 36. Verse 36, uh, the story continues that there's this prophetess named Anna. And it gives you this background of her story, that she was married, but her husband died, and then she was widowed, and, and she never remarried. She stayed in the temple, and she, she would worship the Lord and pray every day. And she was praying for the restoration of Israel. And when this young Mary and young Joseph walk in with this, with this baby that looked like every other baby, when they walked by her, she knew what that was. And she begins to speak with confidence. She begins to, to proclaim out that this is it. This is, this is what I've been waiting for. And she was excited about what God was doing but that baby would make absolutely no difference in her lifetime. Because she was in the age of being a historic strength. But her years were numbered. And before Jesus would ever step foot into ministry, she would be long gone. But she blessed what she didn't understand. She blessed what she wouldn't see. She was a guardian for what was to come. So when you go back to Proverbs 3, it contains this, this, just this wealth of knowledge and understanding for us and how, how we're to live today. But when you read that first part, you see that, that the wisdom is being passed on by somebody who may not see the outcome of the seeds that they were sowing. So they were saying to this young man or this, this young person or this group of young people, I'm going to give you, I'm going to impart to you this wisdom. I'm going to give you these seeds. And I'm going to give you the seeds and trust you with them. Because the kingdom of God is going to outlive me. And it's going to outlive our time. And I want the kingdom of God and the wisdom of the kingdom of God to continue to flourish in next generations. So you see this wisdom... We can draw from it to, 
to, to look and say, how do we live today? We can read through that and say, I need to, I need to live with integrity. I need to, to live as, as a person of faith. I need to trust God with all my heart. I need to, to seek after the things of God like, like precious jewels. And then I take that and I hand it over for the next generation. And it brings out this whole thing that the, the, the things that we choose to do now, the things that, that I choose to do with my life, the things that you choose to do with your life, and whether you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, or you're, you're a teenager, what you do in your life is going to have an impact down the road. So we begin to recognize how important it is to look beyond ourselves and our own understanding and say, Lord, what are you doing right now? Because both, both Simeon and Anna weren't logically looking at this saying, this is obviously what's happening. It was the spirit that alerted them. And as, as we foster that in our lives, this, this hunger for God and this hunger for God's word and this, this intimacy with, with God and his spirit, the Lord gives us things that, that, that we cherish in our heart. So you think of this story of Mary, this young Mary, and it says that, that she took those words that were spoken, those words that were spoken by the angel, those words that are spoken by Simeon, those words that are spoken by Anna, and she treasures them. She holds on to them. Because all those words were spoken when this is an infant in her arms. And she would watch this baby grow up and do the things that a kid would do and do the things that a teenager would do and, and, and grow up. And she's watching this and she has to guard this until he emerges at age 30 and steps in and makes it clear that he's the Messiah. Mary's faith had to, had to trust these words to persevere and nurture this child until the fullness of what God was doing was being able to be revealed. So we sometimes get stuck and say, I want answers now. But the answers we get may not be the tangible physical answers. It may be a word of faith that gets deposited in our hearts for us to hold on to and says, in spite of what I see, instead of what I hear right now, this is what the Lord has given me in my heart, and I'm going to hold on to it like a treasure. And those words of, of Proverbs that says that, that the wisdom is, is more precious than rubies and gold and all those things, that, that gets transferred over to what Luke says, because Mary took all of those things like they're precious treasures, and she put them in a box, and she held on to that tightly. She held on to what God's promise was and what God's word was. And she held on to it as if it was true right now and it wouldn't manifest for 30 years. But when it stepped out, it changed the world. Jesus steps out and he teaches what nobody else taught. He did things that nobody else had seen. It caused a rift, it caused division, it caused the world to literally change. And Jesus goes to the cross, which nobody understood in the time. He dies, he's buried, and then he comes back. And if you're popular before the crucifixion, you're going to be really popular after you come back from the dead. And you think, this is a good time for Jesus to go global. This is a good time because Jesus is now at his peak. He rose to heights. And they tried to knock him down, but he came back and look what he's demonstrated. This is the time for Jesus now to go and say, you want to challenge me now? He's at the peak. And what does Jesus do? Notice, notice his change. He comes back and flips the switch. And he says this. It's no longer me who's going to minister. It's you. When you read the end of Matthew, it says they gathered. And some worshipped him. 
But I, I love this part, because I think I would have been in this camp. Some doubt it. Not everybody that gathered with Jesus after the resurrection actually believed or understood what was going on. And Jesus doesn't say, okay, anybody who's doubt, you go away, because I'm only going to speak to the people that worship. He doesn't say that. He says he took the ones that were doubting, and he took the ones that were worshiping, and he says, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to do this work anymore. You're going to do it. And you're going to do it with the same authority that I had. And you're going to go out and, and you're going to teach people to do the things that I've taught you. And you're going to help them to, to, to grow up in their faith, just like I did for you. And you're going to go out and, and you're going to baptize them. And I, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and in the Son and the Holy Spirit. Give them the whole dose. And then he identifies what his role is. Remember what he says at the end? Lo, I like this translation. Lo, I am with you always to the very ends of the earth. What does he do? He becomes the guardian of those who would do the ministering. He takes what was promised back in the wilderness of how they would do things, and then he lives it out. So he says, all subsequent generations, including us today, I'm your guardian. I'm watching over you. You have what it takes to do the things that I did. The things that I did are the things that you can do. I want you to go and do them. And trust me more than anything else. So I realized this, that my visit to Beulah camp was not what I wanted it to be but it was what I needed. It was what I needed because six months later, I changed roles. And I went from pastoring, which I was comfortable with and used to, and kind of knew the, knew the rules, and stepped into something different. And my whole time in this role, I keep going, Lord, what am I doing here? I'm not even Mennonite. What am I doing here? And the only thing I get is, I want you to do exactly what I tell you to do. Same as it's always been. And I go, fair enough. I'll trust in you with all my heart. And I'll lean not on my own understanding. And I'm going to believe that you're going to make the path straight. And so when I come to you guys, for the first time I've ever been here, I say this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Because you are ministering today, but the Lord is your guardian. And you're going to look to these, these younger ones. And with, with all the enthusiasm and all the vigor that you've invested your life into doing things for the church, now you begin to shift attention and go, how do I now get reinvigorated to bless what is yet to come? So that what this church is in a generation, in two generations, is far more than what you can build it into being. That it's what the Lord orchestrates. Proverbs 3 is like this well that you can drink from. But the thing I want to leave you today with is this. That it's not all up to you. What is up to you is whether or not you will trust the Lord and push in in spite of all that, that, that is confusion, all the things that are going on, will you push in to be people of prayer? To be men of faith, to be women of prayer, and press in and say, Lord, what's, what's this thing that's before us? What's this thing in its infant state? What is it going to become? And then bless that. The future ain't what it used to be, but that's not a bad thing. Because there are opportunities for the church today that have never existed in Canada before. 
And there are opportunities for new life today that didn't exist before. It might be different, but that's okay. Because the Lord is going to bring in just what he needs to bring in from what was. And he's going to add what needs to be. And something is going to emerge from that that is wonderful. That in one generation, two generations, three generations from now, they're going to look back and say, let me tell you the story of what my great-grandfather did after a pandemic in this little rundown church in the middle of nowhere and how that changed my life. And you hold on to that. It says there that she's more precious than jewels. And nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and her left hand is our riches and honor. Her ways are pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold fast are called blessed. That's wisdom. And if there's anything you want to seek after, it's the wisdom of the Lord. And if you wonder if the Lord's going to give you any wisdom, then you've got to go to the book of James. Remember what James says? Ask. Anyone who asks will be given wisdom. And he'll give it to you in abundance. But when you ask, this is the key, when you ask for the wisdom, you must believe and not doubt. Your fight is going to be the doubt fight. Your blessing is going to be the word of God that gets dropped into your heart. All right? And here's what I'm committed to. Because I'm here and I, I, my, my brain starts to fire when I get here. What is the Lord doing? And I can promise you that I, I don't have all the answers. You, there's some of the things that you're wrestling with that I've wrestled with in my life, but it's a different time. But here's my commitment to you. I'm going to pray for you guys and for the wisdom. Because when I look around here at the age, the average age of this place, you guys are ready to go. You take the seniors that we have here and, and you guys pour your faith into what's coming. It's, it's a blank slate. So then the question is, Lord, open this up for us. So here's what my prayer is going to be for you. And if you agree with this prayer, just, just agree in prayer as I pray. I'm going to pray for two things. I'm going to pray that for everybody who's here that wants to know where new life is going, that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to see things in your communities, to see things that, that maybe you just never saw before. Scripture verses, people, opportunities, but your eyes will be open. And when your eyes are open, the Holy Spirit's going to go, did you catch that? Hold on to that one. Put that in the file. Second thing I'm going to pray for is that your ears will be open. That you'll hear things. That, that, that when I'm here and I, I hear those, those, those voices of kids and that, that running around, that, I hear that. And I go, thank you, Jesus, for that. But you're going to hear people share things with you. The longings of their hearts. The ones who don't attend church or who have left church and, and are disgruntled with church, but you're going to hear that they're going to say things and the Lord's going to say, pay attention to that. You want to be an effective church? Meet that need. Ears to hear. Two things that Jesus said over and over again to the churches of Revelation. So that's what I want to pray for you. All right? And if you're in agreement, just say, Lord, I agree with that. And Lord, may I receive that. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how great it is. And Lord, I pray this prayer for new life, for everyone who has an open heart to bless what is maybe unknown, to bless what is uncertain. Lord, may you open their eyes to see what your spirit sees. And when those opportunities come, that your spirit will quicken their heart, that they will, they will lighten up to, to what's happening there, and they will see it. 
they'll see beyond the, the temporal and they'll see that eternal picture that you're, that you're showing them. And Lord, for everyone that's here that, that has a heart for it, that you would open their ears, that they would hear words that are spoken and they will hear beyond just the words and they will hear the heart. That they will hear things on the radio, they will hear things in conversation that will quicken them to what you're doing. Now, Lord, that you would together take all of those pieces and bring them together as this congregation seeks to be in unity as your prayer was. That they would, they would be so united that it would reflect how you were united with the Father. And that their heart, they would beat with one heart and they would have one mind that they would have all of this diverse pieces that they bring in, but they will see the one hope. And Lord, that you would unify them towards that and give them the strength to treasure those things, even if they take years to manifest. So Lord, may you bless this congregation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of my resolutions has been to speak shorter, and uh, you ruined it for me, because... Because in order for me to speak short, I have to be well prepared. And I was well prepared and then I changed everything. And I probably blew my time. But take whatever credit I had for the next time and I'll put it to this time if that's all right. Then. So God bless you. You guys are great. And I'll, who's...